morning and uh, welcome to Creekside Church. Uh, glad to see you guys here and I know we've got people online so hello to you as well. Um, this is a mission Sunday so uh, every quarter we take a special offering for our missionaries around the world and so if you would like to give to that uh, please designate a check into the offering box for the missions afterwards or do the online giving options uh, through Tithely or send a check to the church. Uh, we've got missionaries in Liberia, Africa, Romania, uh, Uganda, and around the world. So uh, please give generously to support what the Lord's doing through them. And also this morning, uh, my brother Anna and I, who represent our outreach team at this time, uh, would like to call Mary Bristow up and pray with her because Mary is heading out to Haiti today. She was part of our Haiti missions team uh, this last fall. And the Lord just used that in her life in a great way and has called her to go back for a couple weeks uh, Mary's a nurse, and there's a hospital down there that has requested her to come and train their nurses further. Uh, apparently, the nurses there get some initial training in Haiti, and then they don't get any continuing education after that. And so um, they've called Mary down to help train their nurses further for a couple of weeks. So we're sending her off with our prayers and our blessings and a financial gift from the church. And if you would like to contribute to that, give that to the missions offering, and Anna and I are helping to see that money get to her. So Mary, um, and then Mark, her husband, if you'd like to join us too, we have you come up here as well. And Mary, anything you want to say to the congregation before you head out today? Um, pray that customs doesn't get me really bad when I go through too. <laughs> yep. Mary carries, carries a lot of supplies down there, so we'll, we'll pray that that goes smoothly. Anna, do you want to pray for them? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. This is the Lord's day. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. As a little flock, the blood-bought children, we have gathered here this morning to worship you through songs and to remember the cross, Christ, and crucifixion, and to be to 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 take the uh, to partake in the emblems that were set. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. This morning, I especially pray for our dear sister Mary as she is planning to go to Haiti for missions, Lord, and I pray that you would please take her, take her safely and uh, use her in that land for your glory, Lord, and many souls be saved and bring her safely back home. And also as she carries uh, much supply and uh, she will not get into trouble or any problems uh, as she goes through customs, Lord, and bring her safely back here and we want to listen, uh, uh, report, a great report that glorifying you, Lord, once she comes back. And I commit as a little flock, we commit, dear sister, into your mighty and gracious hands. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks for praise team for leading us in worship. Just continue to keep Mary in your prayers, if you would, as she uh, makes her way uh, down to Haiti and back. And, you know, it's a adventure uh, always but uh, with things now you know kind of uh, stirred up in Haiti and things so we just want to keep her in our prayers uh, just a couple of other things we have several birthdays in the congregation so you can go online and find out about all that information there's a calendar there uh, but just I want to say happy birthday to those who are celebrating some today some tomorrow some other days close to the this day. Uh, I see our brother Eric. Uh, Mbio Mbio. Uh, congratulations brother on uh, the birth of your, your fourth child. So we are grateful. Grateful for little Ezra. 
and we're still collecting uh, diapers and wipes out there in the entryway, so if you would make yourself uh, a note, if you want to do something for them to encourage them, that would be great. Also, just a reminder, as Mark said, the missions offering uh, goes to our supported missionaries, and then uh, also we're asking to give a little extra this time to help us uh, send Mary on her way as well, so that's, that's grateful. If you're here as a newcomer in the service, this is the first time at Creekside, uh, there is a little additional flap on the bulletin. We just ask that you would fill that out if you could and slip it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table. That's all we'd ask you to put in the offering box as our guest this morning. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us. And also, that flap is not just for newcomers, so if you're here as a part of a regular congregation and you have uh, something you want us to pray for or you have a question or anything, you can do that on that little slip of paper that's the addition to the bulletin if you would let's pray father uh, thank you so much uh, that uh, you have never failed us yet and I know that as we come before you there in this congregation those who are here present those who are online there's a variety of struggles and challenges and joys and sorrows that uh, folks are dealing with and I pray uh, that you would meet us in our own situation our own circumstance that you would come to us and speak to us as you know we need to hear I ask that you'd open our eyes that we might behold the, the truths of your word and I pray that we would receive the word of God for what it is the word of God and not just the word of men that we would be transformed and changed by the power of your spirit through your word we pray in Jesus name amen well a lot of you have heard about this freedom convoy that's uh, gone across Canada. Uh, people are uh, there and they're representing the, the people who organize it, the truckers and they represent, <clears throat> are opposed to the mandates that are used to help mitigate COVID-19, at least in their countries, at least that's their stated purpose. And the organizers are seeking to have a sit-down, you know, sort of a civil and respectful discussion with the proponents of the mandates in order to uh, help deal with what the truckers and those they represent seem to feel is a breach of their liberties and they hope to settle things but it's 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 a deal with regard to liberty but has really nothing to do with anybody's eternal destiny okay so they're trying to settle things for with regard to their liberty but no eternal destiny quite different from the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning because in the passage of scripture we look at beginning in Matthew chapter 26 we kind of turn the corner in the book of Matthew to now Jesus is moving very intentionally to the cross to the cross of Calvary and the discussion and the events that are portrayed before us as Jesus moves to the cross have everything to do with our eternal destiny uh, there are two sides just like in the, the the truckers convoy there are two sides what do we do with Jesus whose side are you on are you on Jesus side or are you not on Jesus side as we look at this a matter that affects our eternal destiny a matter that I think should be approached with humility and with teachability and with reverence and anticipation excitement too as well so I'm in Matthew chapter 26 I'm going to read through the verse 16 verses and in this text we're going to look at and I kind of changed this from what you have in your outline but as, as the introduction uh, Matthew records four 
emotionally charged or emotionally eliciting events. So these events are, they elicit an emotion, and that's how I phrased it as you look at each of those statements, that pave Jesus' way to the cross. And they confirm the reality of the cross, and they also challenge us as to whose side we're on. Are we those people who want to be, our, which side of his story are we on? Are we those who revere or those who reject him and his plan? I'm in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 1, and it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize him, Jesus by stealth and kill him, but they were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whether this gospel is preached, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to deliver up him up to you and they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him four emotion eliciting events that paved the way to the cross that confirmed the reality that Jesus is going to die and challenge us which side of his story are we on Revering him or rejecting him. The first is this. We're we're surprised. Now, I'd say we. I am, okay. We are surprised by the sovereign purpose of God. The text begins, and it came about that when Jesus had finished these words, what words? It's a conclusion, most immediately, of everything he's just said, beginning in chapter 19, verse 1, up through chapter 24, verse, or 25, verse 46. But it's not just those words, but it's all of the teaching of Jesus. At this point, Jesus is ending his formal teaching in the book of Matthew. No more instructions, no more sermons from Jesus here. Oh, not that he doesn't say a few things, but his formal teaching time is done. In fact, this is an indication, it's kind of a catchphrase as we read through the book of Matthew. And it came about after these, uh, Jesus had finished these words. So the phrase introduces the final section in the book of Matthew, which is chapters 26 through 28. And if you went back and you looked at chapter 7, verse 28, if you looked at chapter 11, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 53, and chapter 19, verse 1, you'd see the exact same phrase. So those are the sections that mark off off the major sections in the gospel. And Jesus is focused now on on, on the, the, the triumph that he has over the tragedy of the cross. 
and he's marching us on the passion of Christ. So we, we see at the end of verse 26, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. He said this before. And he's repeating what he has said before to remind them that this is not new, but this is where we're at in the story. If you looked at chapter 16 and chapter 17, you see it, but also I want to point us to Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. And I think we, do you have that one? Yeah. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus tells his disciples, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify, and on the third day he will be raised up. Those of you who know or care about professional football know that uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady, recently retired. Okay. Well, he, he announced his retirement, but now uh, there have been little statements about later, well, uh, will he really stay retired? Like, oh, he might come back. And so, like, which is it? Are you out or are you in? Or do you not know? Well, I say that because when Jesus says, I'm about to go and die in verse 2, I'm going up and the Son of Man is going to be crucified, this is, he declared with marked finality. This is not like I'm in or I'm out. Uh, I'm on my way out. It was part of God's predetermined plan for him to do this. In fact, if we look at the book of Acts chapter 4 verses 27 and 28, and it should be up on the screen, uh, we, re- we read this, for truly in this city <clears throat> there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, this is God's hand, and purpose predestined to occur. So what we're hearing from Jesus is, I'm on the way to the cross, and what we know from the scripture is, this is God's plan. So that there's no human power that could have put Jesus on the cross. There's no human power that could have kept him from the cross. This was the plan of God from ever. And the cross then answers the question, how can sinful men who deserve God's wrath be made right before God? That's the question. But I have a question before we answer that question. And the question that I have, which actually is, helps us answer that question is why at the Passover because the text says that two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up for crucifixion well the answer is evident in the scripture as to why the Passover because the Old Testament Passover at the Old Testament Passover the blood that was sprinkled on the doorposts uh, above the door and down the doorposts Um, that was spread on the doors in Egypt was the sign that delivered the Israelites under the in those houses from the angel of death and it becomes a shadow what happened in Exodus chapter 12 becomes a shadow of which Christ is the substance when he goes to the cross the cross of Christ casts its shadow from the New Testament back onto the Old Testament onto that event so that event just foreshadows what Jesus was going to do on the cross of Calvary we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 uh, that it it talks about him him doing that okay I'm just going to read it Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 
if I can get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also was sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast. Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. See, God's predetermined plan uh, was for lost mankind to be bought out of slavery through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, okay, and delivered us from, but it required a perfect lamb, just like in the Old Testament. They had to have a lamb without spot and blemish, and so in the New Testament, Jesus is that perfect lamb without spot or blemish. That's what John tells us in in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A sinless sacrifice so that the blood of Christ, we've been bought with the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of the Lamb, uh, uh, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. On the cross, Christ redeemed now, I've said this word before, and so hold on again, I'll, I'll say it. it. means the price to release us, okay? It's the price to release us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we deserve the curse, but he became a curse for us. And yeah, this is Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became the curse that I deserve, that you deserve on the cross and Peter says it in first Peter chapter 2 verse 24 he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we're healed so why at the Passover because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb that he sacrificed himself so that his blood shed would be shed on our behalf so that all who would take shelter under his blood through their faith in him would be Delivered not just from the penalty of sin, death and separation from God, but from the power of sin, so that we could live a life that is pleasing and honoring and glorifying to Him. And in my reading, it was interesting, I hadn't really thought about this fact before, but one of the, one of the aspects of the marvel and mystery of the cross of Christ is that He shed His blood for us. But another aspect of the fact that the marvel and mystery is that he shed it first of all for the Father. In Romans chapter 3 verse 25 he says he did it to demonstrate his, God, the Father's righteousness and justice. His righteous, see God pardons the guilty sinners like us not by ignoring our wickedness, not by denying his holiness, but by by justly punishing that wickedness through a substitute. Somebody who was there in our place. God pardons the guilty not by ignoring our wickedness or denying his holiness, but by punishing the substitute. And you think of this, that God, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin 
His costly obedience then becomes not just the source of our salvation, but the motivation and the example for us to follow in our relationships with other people and in, in, in this life so that we sacrifice for Him in the same way that He sacrificed for us. If we would admit that we're rebels, okay, that in our hearts we're really not walking towards God, we're walking away from God, and that we would confess our sin before him and confess him as Lord and master of our life and believing that his death paid the debt that we deserve to pay. He welcomes us into his family as forgiven children of God and so the blood of Christ shed on the cross, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin placed on Jesus, he died in our place. His righteousness placed upon us and we live when we don't deserve it. That's the predestined, preordained plan of God. And my question to you is, do you accept it or reject it? Have you accepted Christ as your sacrifice, your Passover lamb? Or do you just know about it intellectually? You've heard about it maybe, but you've never totally surrendered your will to his. If you haven't, I say, now is the day of salvation. Just say, okay, Lord, I, I, I accept what Jesus did. I know that I'm headed for an eternity apart from you. Now I want to accept what Jesus did so that I can be forgiven and I will begin this eternal life that you talk about right now that will continue forever with you. We see that there is this surprised sovereign plan of God. I don't know about you, but I, I read it and it says, he says these things and then Jesus announces he's going to die, which leads to the second emotion eliciting event which is that we're saddened by the secret plot of the religious men as I read down through the text you read verse 2 Jesus saying well okay guys uh, we're going to go up there the Passover for two days I'm going to be died and crucified and then what, what comes next it's kind of like it doesn't seem to flow to me it's like all of a sudden boom there it is on the page oh and and, and the chief priests and scribes were over here on the side trying to kill Jesus it's a shock to me Two considerations in the plot. First of all, who are the participants? Who's the players here? First, the villains. Then the chief priests and the elders. Now, they were representing the highest religious governing body of the Jewish people at that time, the Sanhedrin. So they're, they're not all of them, but they're representing them, okay? They represented them, and they convened. They convened a little hearing in the home of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Now, Caiaphas is a high priest. He really wasn't really all that thrilled about Jesus because Jesus was undermining his authority and Jesus was undermining his influence. But the rest of the gang, they were just a little bit envious and jealous and they were really ticked off, really, because Jesus was making this, he was exposing their hypocrisy. And they didn't appreciate that very much. And he was gaining a, a, a following that they were jealous of. In fact, if, uh, if we looked at Mark chapter 15, verse 10, it says they delivered him up for envy. And, uh, and Pilate knew that. So he knew they delivered him up for envy. But they, 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 they plotted to seize him by stealth and kill him. You think about how dangerous religion can be. You see how dangerous it can be to have a religion in which we know about God intellectually, but
but sometimes it can become a roadblock to knowing God personally. And that concerns me for people who grew up in the church. Because we, we, we know about God intellectually. And we have a religion. And we feel secure that we've done all the things. Well, I went to church. I went to Sunday school. I got baptized. I got confirmed. I you know, went through all the motions. I, I had my first communion. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever it might be. I joined the church. I'm a member of the church. I actually serve in the church board. I've done a lot of good things. And so we're religious. But we've never really surrendered our life and our will to the Lord of the universe and become entered into a relationship with him. And so this is the danger of the, of the religion. Then the victim. Who's the victim? Well, we know the victim is Jesus. Okay? The villains are the Sanhedrin, but the victim is Jesus. And is it interesting to me how we see the story of this woman that anoints Jesus sandwiched between the villains and another villain <laughs> between the religious elite who want to kill Jesus and Judas who is complicit in trying to get him killed. Now what's the purpose? Take out Jesus. Okay, these are the religious leaders. Now, if I were to ask you, you used to teach a, a, a class of junior high students and we learned the Ten Commandments. And the sixth commandment is, you shall not commit murder. We have the religious, highest religious leaders and teachers in Israel plotting to kill Jesus. To violate the sixth commandment. But they're really worried about themselves and they're worried about their reputation. So they don't want to do it in public. They do it by stealth. So they want to sanctify their sin. And this is what we see. The arrogance, their hostile rejection of, rejection of Jesus belies the arrogance that is really, really dangerous. Now, I've never seen the, 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 the entire movie. I've seen clips from the movie, the, the Titanic. Most of us know the story of the Titanic. The unsinkable ship, right? It's the unsinkable ship. Isn't it fascinating how God often in history does that which people say can never be done? These people were so arrogant that this could not be the Christ that they crucified him. The religion, the religious who create God in, 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 in their own image oppose rather than obey God. In fact, they make themselves out to be God so that they don't submit to, to the real God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, uh, the prophet says this, the proud, look of hum the proud look of humanity will be brought low and the arrogance of people will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day for the Lord of armies will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is arrogant and haughty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be brought low. We see, I am surprised by the sovereign plan of God, the purpose of God to send his son to the cross. I'm saddened by the secret plot of the religious leaders. Uh, I think we're also sobered by the sincere worship of the woman that's mentioned in verses 6 through 13. And again, it's like you read down through the text. If you're just reading through the text, it kind of should take you by surprise because you're like, okay, Jesus is going to die. Well, they're plotting to kill him. Now it's like, oh, but there's this woman here. What, what, where did she come from? 
It's a beautiful story. And I believe that, and hold on with me here if you will, but I believe that Matthew, in his recording of things, is actually provides us with a strategic flashback that verses 6 to 13 is really a flashback to some stuff that happened earlier in the week because we know from John's gospel that they were, uh, they were gathered in, in the house days before the Passover. But in this text, he has just mentioned that it's only going to be two days until he's going to be crucified. So I see the events as a flashback of the account of Jesus' arrival in Bethany. And he's at the home of Simon the leper. Okay, so it's Passover. What are the good religious people doing during Passover? They're purifying themselves. They're cleansing themselves. They're going through rituals and uh, gyrations and, and practices to try to get their hearts right with God. Now, what is the perfect, pure Son of God doing during Passover? Going to the house of a leper which would have defiled him, which would have corrupted him, which would have made him unclean. And so his concern was for the lost and the hurting. Their concern was only to appear right. And here we have Jesus, the Son of God. And John tells us that he was gathered with Martha and Mary and Lazarus because in John's gospel, the parallel here is in John chapter 12. And we know from John chapter 11, this was the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is probably the reason there was such a great crowd welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem is because all those people were wanting to see this guy who raised him from the dead. And so Matthew's record deliberately contrasts and notice how Matthew says uh, verse, two, verse 6 now when Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper a woman an unnamed woman but John tells us her name was Mary but Matthew records her as an unnamed woman so he contrasts the the devotion of an unnamed woman with the disdain of a named person well, actually, a disdain of the scribes and Pharisees in the Sanhedrin and a named person, Judas, in the, in the text that follows. And so Mary came to the Lord and she poured her perfume over him. And she models for us, I think, three key elements of real sacrificial worship of Jesus. Again, in contrast to the people who want to kill him and Judas who wants to betray him. And so here they are. She first of all models a sincere, that sincere worship is a costly sacrifice. Her worship was expensive worship. Uh, my friend, good friend Darwin Anderson often talks about expensive worship. It's worship that costs us something. It costs us what we value most. And here's what she gave. Materially it cost her. An alabaster vial of costly perfume, the text tells us. Mark says, in his gospel, says it was worth 300 denarii, um, 11 months wages for a common laborer. So, if you're a, a person working at Amazon or you're a person working for an hourly wage, uh, 11 months, that's what it was called. And it was probably uh, an heirloom. It was the way that they kept their inheritance. You know, they didn't have, uh, you know, didn't trust the banks and stuff. And so it was a very costly thing for her to do it. She, she brought her most valued possession to give to Jesus. When I read this, 
uh, been a while back when I, I, this, I made this connection, but with, uh, with David, and uh, David commanded, uh, he was commanded, he commanded to build the, the, the altar at, on the threshing floor of Ornan, and this is First Chronicles, but, but Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself. Ornan's offering his ox and his, his, all, you know, and his threshing floor and all this stuff. Take it for yourself and, and may my lord the king do what is good in his sight, seeing I am giving the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I am giving it all. Notice what David said. No, but I will certainly buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the lord nor offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. I will not give to God what costs me nothing because He has given everything for me. And so we have a costly offering. And I say, our giving to God reflects the condition of our heart and our understanding of who God is. Our giving to God reflects our grasp of who he is. She gave generously because she loved Jesus deeply. I asked myself, I said, do I, do I love the Lord and do I demonstrate my love? As we say, This is interesting, in the first service we were talking about love. And love is action. Okay? Love, love demonstrates itself. <clears throat> do I love the Lord, do I demonstrate my love for the Lord by giving him what matters most to me? And, and it's not necessarily the amount, okay, but it matters most. Is it my time? Is it my energy? Is it money, possessions? Do I give those things to him? I have a good friend of mine. He's, he's retired, but he continues to give. He gives of his time. He gives of his money. He gives of his energy. You know, when you get older, uh, it, it, it's more effort, to, to serve the Lord. And when you're flying overseas and you're going through jet lag and you're coming back and you're serving on and high energy younger people, it's a, an expenditure of energy and effort that expedites your exit from this earth. <laughs> okay? Yet, my brother Dave gives and gives and gives and he's happy to do it because he serves a risen Savior. And he serves a God who has marvelously rescued him from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred him into the kingdom of his beloved son. But it also cost Mary, this woman, relationally. Look at verses 8 and 9. The text says, But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? When she poured her expensive perfume over Jesus, over his head, which we know from the other Gospels, it, she got some on his feet, all over his body. And the fragrant aroma filled the room. And the disciples, who had been with Jesus for three years now, nearly three years, learning from the Master, their response was, they're ticked off. They're more sanctimonious than her. They're, they're more pious than her, right? Their, their motives and their goal were better than hers because they wanted to use the money to give to the poor. Now, we know from other gospel accounts that Judas was leading the charge here, and Judas used to pilfer the money box, so he probably didn't really care about the poor, but he really wanted to get more money. But it doesn't just say it was Judas. The, the disciples were in on this, okay? And so 
their apparent piety was uh, masked their spiritual dullness. They didn't really understand uh, this. And here we have uh, a woman who understood the abbreviated life expectancy of Jesus. Somehow she understood that Jesus' time was numbered and uh, she understood it better than the others and she acted on, on what she knew and she gave him what was extravagant because he was worth it. And she received heat from whom? Other followers of Jesus. Think that. Let that soak in. She worshipped the Lord with extravagance and it was other believers who gave her flack over it. And the question I think we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, is, is this. Am I, am I willing to endure the persecution of other believers to express the full measure of my devotion to Christ? Am I willing to take the heat from other Christians to express the full measure of my devotion to Jesus? My mind went to, to John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Church, Grace Community Church out in, uh, well, it's, we say Los Angeles, but it's not Los Angeles. I don't know what the exact town he's in. But this last two years, MacArthur's church has been meeting, had been meeting in violation of the government mandates that they couldn't meet in a group larger than 20 or whatever number of people was. He was violating both the, the city and the state regulations. It was costing them, I think, $1,500 a day uh, because they were violating these commands. And the, the amazing thing is that there were, to me, is that there were very well-meaning and very well-known and popular believers, Christians, who were opposed to what he was doing. They were, and disassociating with him because of what he was doing. But he was willing to take the heat for expressing the full measure of his devotion. And Jesus rebuked them. He says, why do you bother the woman? Verse 10. Here's the deal. And I, maybe I've said this before. I heard it somewhere else, so it's not new to me. How would you define a radical Christian? Somebody who loves Jesus more than you. Okay. It's not always true, but think about it. This is a radical Christian. It's just somebody, just somebody, somebody who loves Jesus more than me. That's who I'd consider a radical. People consider John MacArthur radical. The disciples considered this woman radical. She was, because she was worshiping. Sincere worship is not just costly, but it's a complete sacrifice. In verse 7, she broke the vial and she poured it probably all in his head and it went down over his body. And she was giving Jesus herself. Like I'm, not, I'm not, no reservation, no hesitation, not, not thinking it through. You know, us guys are like, well, you really think that one through, honey? Uh, not sure. Mary, do you really think this one through? You know, you're going to, going to Haiti. Are you really you sure? Yeah. It's like, we're giving to Jesus, and sometimes you just do it, Right? And it's like, I don't have all the explanations, I don't have the T's crossed, the I's dotted, everything's in place. I'm just trusting God. All right? And, and, and so her worship was complete. No reservation. I don't know if you've ever had, you ever have a chance to go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers in Washington, D.C. or Arlington, Virginia is where it's at. Go. 
Those guys, maybe there's gals doing it too now probably, but guarding the tomb. I mean, it's a tomb, right? They're guarding a tomb. They don't even know who's in there. Not even sure there's anybody in there. It's just a representative thing, you know. It's like the, and they're marching in all kinds of weather. Doesn't matter. Lightning bolts. I've talked to the guys. You know, there's a lightning bolt over there. We're going. You know, it's snowing. It's sleeting. It's raining. It's hailing. It's hurricanes, tornadoes. They're marching. They give it all to guard a tomb. Can we give it all for somebody who's not in the tomb? who rose from the dead so that we could live, to give it all so he would redeem us. That's what this woman was doing. All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. It's all for him, not for me. Her worship was not just costly and complete, but her sincere worship is a commendable sacrifice. Why do you bother with the woman, Jesus said? And she had shown her love for Jesus. And now Jesus shows his love for her. He says, you know, don't, don't bother her. What she's done is good. And Jesus shows his love by providing reasons why what she did was commendable, not condemnable. First of all, her practice was right. Her extravagance in pouring out the perfume over his head was a demonstration of her devotion and her kindness to whom? To me, he says, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, she gave her all and her devotion. And Jesus says, eh, that's good. Her single act of sincere devotion, think about it. Now, you may be, okay, we aren't there yet, but we're going there. We're going to the cross. And on the way to the cross, Jesus is going to experience, well, just in the next few verses, right? The plot to kill him previously. Uh, mentioned the next few verses he's going to experience what betrayal he's going to experience denial he's going to experience physical brutality he's going to experience mockery he's going to experience the most excruciating painful death in the crucifixion and in all of that where is the bright spot right here in his last hours of his life this is the brightest shining light in all of it and here's the woman. Okay, ladies, you can... Teaching the guys. Because the guys... Why this waste? The guys... I don't know him. The guys running and hiding. But who's there? Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of Salome, and Joanna. Watching, waiting, anticipating... And Jesus says, you know what? Her priority also was right. He stressed the uniqueness of the situation. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, in saying, the, the poor you always have with you, okay? He reminds the disciples, you have an ongoing responsibility to the poor. He's not saying, don't care for the poor. He's just saying that you always have them with you, but right now, it's not about them. He says, you don't always have me. Again, unique to their situation, you don't always have me. It was not the time for charity. It was the time for worship. There is a time for charity. 
But there's a time for everything under the sun, right? This afternoon there's a Super Bowl. Somebody's going to win the Super Bowl. Some of you don't care. Some of you do. But after they win the Super Bowl, whatever team wins the Super Bowl, they're going to go home to their home city and they're going to have a celebration. You know, ticker tape parade. And it's going to be marvelous. Fans are going to recognize and appreciate them. Jesus' own disciples missed the parade. And realized what was going on here. Or at least fully grasp it. It didn't. But the woman did. She got it. God is still seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Placing him first. And this is a challenge. We've got to place, him, place him first in my affections. Place him first in my possessions. Place him first above my home, above my health, above my family. That's John 10, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of who we are. Her purpose was right. Verse 12. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now, how much of it she knew, we don't know. But the perfume went over his body, the expensive and aromatic perfume, preparing him for death. She understood that Jesus was on mission, and she understood probably to some degree that he was not going to be around for long. She understood to some degree that he was going to the cross. How much of it, we don't know, but what she is that she acted on what she knew. She gave with what she had because she understood, and what she understood, she acted on. She gave as good as she knew. Do we give as good as we know? We know a whole lot more than she did. And finally, her praise was rich. Verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Wow. It's like she's got a street sign. You know, Mary. You know, in every city, in every town around the world, there's a sign. The woman who gave her alabaster vial to Jesus. No, it's actually better than that. Uh, if I say the name Ronald Reagan, uh, do you know who Ronald Reagan is? Okay. There's, a, there's actually a statue of Ronald Reagan in, uh, in, the, in one of the squares in, in Budapest. Uh, I actually went there and I was like, seriously? In Hungary there's a statue of Ronald Reagan? Yeah. He's, he's known the world around, right? And Jesus says this woman is even better than Ronald Reagan. I mean, she's going to be known wherever the gospel is preached. Around the world. Compared to the press this woman receives, he's got nothing. All three gospels mention this story. 2,000 years of Christian history, she has been mentioned as the gospel goes forth. In fact, we are now right this moment fulfilling this prophecy. <laughs> right? We're talking about this woman who gave it all for Jesus. And she becomes an example to us of selfless, sacrificial, and sincere worship of the Lord. And there's one more emotion eliciting event, and that is we're shocked by the scandalous betrayal of Judas. Again, got the scoundrels up here who are plotting Jesus' death. 
then you got this gloriously marvelous, worshipful woman, and then you've got the scandal of betrayal in Judas. And Matthew contrasts, contrasts the sincere devotion of the woman he leaves nameless with the scoundrel that he mentions by name, Judas, all right? One of the twelve, Judas. And Judas approached him and he, he said, how much can I get? And the woman is saying, I'm going to give everything I have. The Sanhedrin measured out for him 30 pieces of silver in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12, or chapter 11, verse 12. He sold out his friend. He sold out the Son of God for the price of a slave. If you looked it up in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, that's how much a slave is worth, or it was in the Old Testament. Judas gained little and lost everything. The woman gave everything and gained it all. Uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is being extradited to the United States. Uh, he, uh, he evidently exposed some uh, indiscretions on the part of some political people and uh, some people consider him a heel, and other people consider him a hero. I don't know how you slice it, but Judas is a heel. He is forever, in the annals of history, the one who betrayed Jesus, no, no doubt. Okay? And from the moment he took the money, he sought how he could betray Jesus. That's his mindset. It's a sobering thought that someone so close to Jesus would be the one who brought about his demise. But you know what? In the sovereignty of God, Jesus knew that when he chose Judas to be his disciple. And yet, he gave him opportunity. The woman's heart was set on God's glory, and Judas was on his own gain, right? And her sacrifice and worship of Jesus is forever remembered, and his actions make him forever rejected. Um, it's a sad story. Uh, I know a person, as far as I know, it's still true. A person grew up in a good moral home. Taught good things, not really necessarily a lot of Bible stuff, but this person went off to college and uh, heard the gospel and made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. A little later down the road, uh, ran across some other people who had a little different story and then came to a point where that person rejected completely the gospel of Jesus and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. As far as I know, that person is not on the side of Jesus right now. And it's a sad and bad story. And so I come to the close of this message and I say, whose side are you on? on Jesus' side or on Judas' side? Which side of history are you on? Revering Jesus or rejecting Jesus? You a hostile rejection of Jesus like the Sanhedrin? And think about this. I just, if, you're, if you're 
Jesus went to the cross even for those who were hostile towards him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he said. If you're hostile towards Jesus, my challenge to you is don't harden your heart. Don't be Judas. Don't be the Sanhedrin. Turn from your sin and trust in what Christ has done on the cross because he did it for you, even in your rebellion. In fact, I mean, I say that's like all of us in our rebellion because none of us was seeking God. We're all actually, none of us any better than anybody else. We're all running away from God and he did it for us, rebels. You know, I mentioned Isaiah chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're arrogantly rejecting Jesus, it's not a good end. Humble yourselves and turn to Christ. Some of you are like heartfelt in your worship, and that's great. That's the response that you have, like the woman. You know, it's like... uh, Let those who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad. Seek the Lord in His face. Seek His face continually. Uh, That's what Psalm 105, verses 3 and 4 says. Okay, seek His face continually. Oh, maybe you're hampered in your worship like the disciples, you know. Like, I mean, they're just, I'm not getting too down on them, but they were a little dull here, okay. So sometimes we get a little dull and we're hampered in our worship of the Lord. And there's a, there's a great uh, passage in Psalm 86, uh, verses 11 through 13. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I'll give thanks to you, O Lord God, uh, for your loving kindness is forever, and you have delivered my soul from Sheol. That's what a neat prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I'll give thanks to you, Lord God, with all my heart and glorify your name forever. That's what I want. And so sometimes I'm dull, uh, but that's what I want. So I just keep coming to that. And then some people are just cold-hearted. And uh, the Bible says, whoa, look out. That's not a good plan. You see, the woman's worship in this text prepared Jesus for the reality which we remember every Sunday. Right? We take the bread. We take the cup as symbols of what Jesus did, which she prepared him for, which he promised would happen, so that all who believe, as the answer to the question, how can sinful, rebellious people who deserve the wrath of God be made right with him? And when we take the bread and the cup, we remember how that's possible. Through his sacrifice for us, through his substitutionary death, in our place and my prayer is that for me and for you if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior then this would be a time in which there's sober reflection but also joyous celebration it's both and if you don't know Jesus it's sad and it means nothing but it can if you turn and repent. Let's pray. Father, I pray in my own heart that you would teach me the lessons of Mary, of Bethany, who 
gave costly worship, Lord. Yes, materially, physically, but also relationally. She was willing to express the full measure of her devotion to Christ regardless of who criticized her. I pray that we might be such people. I pray that we, that I, that each of us might be the kind of people who give what we value most, our time, our resources, our physical energy, our mental capacity for the sake of the kingdom. I pray that we would give it to you not because we have to in order to earn your favor, but because you have demonstrated your love for us and we are responding with gratitude. I pray that you would have all of us. I pray, Father, that your spirit would work in each of our hearts as we contemplate this time of taking the bread and the juice to remember what you've done for us, to rejoice in it, but also to get our hearts right with you if there's any sin that we would confess it so that we take these elements in an attitude of sincere worship without anything between us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond our measure That He would give His only Son His treasure, how great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to 